Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Busy Tuesday in the state of Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. When I say busy, I'm not lying to you. You've got Ole Miss and Southern Miss playing baseball. First pitch about an hour from right now. Mississippi State is hosting Texas Southern. Also a 4 o'clock first pitch. Ole Miss is at Auburn in basketball tonight. That game tips off at 6 o'clock. And then Mississippi State has the late game tonight for basketball. A pivotal game for the Bulldogs, which... Really, for about the last oh two or three weeks, they've kind of all been pivotal as Mississippi State is hosting Alabama tonight at Humphrey Coliseum. And uh, I don't think it's an exaggeration for either Mississippi State or Alabama to say that their postseason hopes in terms of the NCAA tournament are hanging in the balance. Does that mean a loss tonight completely ends it? Not necessarily. Does a win automatically get you in? No, not necessarily. But uh, certainly it is a pretty important data point for both of these teams. Ceasefire text line is open to you this afternoon. The number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. If you want to be a part of the conversation, you can on the Ceasefire text line. Ceasefire reminds you that the biggest free phone event is here. Switch to prepaid by Ceasefire and get your choice of best-selling phones free like the Samsung Galaxy A10e, the Google Pixel 3a, and more. While supplies last, shop now at cspire.com slash prepaid. Rippy, let's start with the baseball game in Oxford. Ole Miss and Southern Miss today. Southern Miss, obviously, year in, year out, a good baseball team. Ole Miss off to a really good start this season. How important is this game on the 25th of February on a Tuesday afternoon in the big picture, the big grand scheme of things? To be honest, there we go. Sorry. To be honest, I mean, not totally. I mean, I guess the the in-state deal. I mean, it'd be a quality win, but you got plenty of those opportunities in the SEC. I think it's just playing well against a good opponent because it's probably a little better gauge than last weekend. Though Xavier's not supposed to be terrible, but importance-wise, I don't know. Probably on the lower end of the spectrum, but just one man's opinion. Um, Xavier, we didn't really talk about this last week. They won two of three against Memphis last week, and I don't know if that speaks to Memphis or speaks to Xavier or what. So they weren't completely chopped meat coming in. They're playing Louisville this afternoon. Uh, Louisville is on the uh, apparently on the whoever Ole Miss played the weekend before. <laughs> that's up for their midweek game next, and that's a 2-2 game in the top of the fourth. So I don't know what that means, but um, with an extra day to kind of think about the weekend, how good was the weekend for Ole Miss? Pretty good on the mound, and they hit well again. I think it was about as well as you could have possibly asked for it. They played three pretty clean games and pitched it pretty well. At this point, 
it's probably too early to draw any big conclusions, but if you want to rewind a couple of weeks to we were talking about Ole Miss going into the start of the season and saying, well, they probably are going to do this well and we've got to see, what were those things and what have you seen so far? Whether they would hit in the middle and the bottom of the lineup, and they've done that so far. I mean, I guess they've hit pretty much all over. Anthony Servideo off to a really good start. Kale Bakers looked like the power bat in the middle of the lineup that they needed him to be. As far as run production, it's it's I think been better than expected, which is probably was probably their gravest concern going into the year. Hey Dad, same thing with Mississippi State. Kind of what we thought going into the year versus what we've seen through two weeks and now going into a second midweekend game. I guess two weekends and now going into the second set of, of midweek games. I thought some of what Chris Lamonis said yesterday was interesting in terms of trying to kind of figure out where they are and see some more arms. Yeah, and that's exactly what State's probably going to do uh, tonight. You know, with Casey Hunt getting the start, this will be his first uh, start of the uh, season. Uh, and then, you know, there are two midweek games for State this week, so I don't know how they'll they'll manage that. But I'd like to think in at least one of these games, you're going to see a, a Johnny Holstaff kind of a, of approach where they try to run through six or seven guys. And Texas Southern is zero and nine on the season. Obviously, it's baseball and anything that can happen, but you would think that State would be able to win that game and win it pretty easily. So I wouldn't be surprised to see you know six, seven guys get a, get a uh, a chance on the mound tonight. Uh, and then in terms of basketball coming up tonight, Mississippi State and Alabama, pivotal, important, critical. Pick your adjective, I suppose. What's the adjective you pick to describe this game? I mean, it's definitely a must-win kind of game, no question about it, and. Uh, you know, I think Borky uh, in the rundown used a, a good word, play-out game. We talk about play-in games hmm. all the time. It's a play-out game. The loser of this game is probably not getting into the NCAA tournament. So what you said at the beginning holds true. The winner of this game isn't necessarily getting in, but for the loser, you, you just can't see a way forward for them. Uh, so for State, you know, they, they've got to find a way to, to play a hundred times better than they played on Saturday when they were, when they were pretty much handled by Texas A&M. Borky, days like this are fun, right? Big sports day in the middle of February, late part of February. Yeah, and I spent most of it trying to figure out my hand size to see if I could play NFL quarterback. Um, Nine and one-eighth, by the way, so I'm better than Joe Burrow. Draft me, Cincinnati. There you go. Uh, Are there any other intangibles that factor in beyond just hand size? I'm a good locker room guy. That's good to know. Are you? I won't do interviews drunk. I mean, you know. You also don't have a Heisman Trophy. (laughs) Or the ability to throw a football accurately. So, you know, tomato, tomato, but everybody's making a big deal about the hand size. Well, mine's bigger than his, so maybe I'm a prospect after all. Yeah, there you go. I think people are just searching for storylines. Oh, uh, man, you're not kidding. I mean, today, Joe Burrow had his press conference at the Combine. He had to answer, and I tuned it out after a little while, at least four questions on whether or not he was going to go to Cincinnati if they picked him. Like, he or anybody in his camp have never one time ever even hinted at the idea that he would pull some kind of a coup and not show up to Cincinnati if they drafted him. In fact, he's only talked positively about if whoever picks me, I'm going to go there and Cincinnati's two hours from where he grew up. And yet today, this this narrative that was created just out of thin air in national sports media land about how Joe Burrow is going to not show up to Cincinnati... Uh, and there's never been an indication that he's going to do that, and today he had to answer a bunch of stupid questions about him not showing up to the team that drafts him. If you were going to not 
go to the team that drafted you, seems like the strategy would not necessarily be to completely air that in the media in advance. Yeah, but he's showing up. Well, I mean, Eli Manning did it though, didn't he? He, he said pretty early on, "Hey, I'm not. I won't play for San Diego." <sighs> Was it that overt? I think. I mean, you're asking me to remember back what 16 years, but. I mean, it was a story that he made it clear he did not want to be drafted by the. Maybe he didn't come out and just say the words, "I won't play for San Diego," but he made it clear that he he did not want to play for San Diego. Yeah, and and you don't have that many examples of a player being able to force the hand of an organization. And if you think about it, the the fact that Eli was able to do that really is pretty remarkable because there was no other option for him. It's not like he could go sign like what Jim Kelly did with the USFL. It's not like he had baseball to fall back on the way John Elway did. He was, you know, graduated as a, uh, as a fifth-year senior. And so, I mean, I guess theoretically could have sat out, but that worked out, and San Diego was okay with getting Phillip Rivers, and the Giants were willing to give up what it took to get Eli Manning. I just don't feel like there are that many players that have got the leverage to pull that off, even if they wanted to pull that off. Found an article. It doesn't say exactly when, but it did say that Archie made it clear that Eli would not play for them if they drafted him before the draft, and they just did it anyway. Yeah, and you know what's interesting about that? I'm glad you said that, Borky, because that's kind of the way I remember it, is Archie kind of took the heat on that for Eli. It, it wasn't a scenario where everybody was asking Eli Manning, at least if I remember correctly, hey, are you going to sit out? Are you going to boycott? the Chargers if they draft you number one, it was kind of Archie that was working on that in the scenes and seemed to do it, again, if I'm remembering correctly, fairly gracefully because I don't remember it being this big, splashy, oh, you're a terrible person for even discussing this. I don't really remember that narrative being there. They even went so far, um, A.J. Smith, the GM, and Marty Schottenheimer had a, a private dinner with Archie, and after the dinner he was like, no, according to this article from Forbes. Huh. So they tried to wine him and dine him and still uh, were unsuccessful, and this article cites his experiences in New Orleans. Uh, funny how that works out. He's now a legend there, but his experiences in New Orleans was the catalyst for why he didn't want Eli to go there and have the same setup. We got a bunch coming up for you this afternoon. Ryan Brown from WJOX in Birmingham will join us. We'll ask him about the significance of Scott Cochran leaving Nick Saban's staff. Uh, I'm also curious how important it is to Nick Saban to have the number one draft pick. Or is it important at all? Is that something that matters to the head coach at Alabama? Given the number of guys that he's got in the NFL, maybe it doesn't matter at all. Maybe it's just first-round picks as opposed to number one overall picks. But uh, might get into that with him and some other things. We'll dive into Mississippi State's game tonight with Alabama, Ole Miss's game tonight with Auburn. We'll talk some college baseball as the Bulldogs and the Rebels and the Golden Eagles are all in action. Ole Miss and Southern Miss playing each other this afternoon in Oxford. And the poll question to start things off when we come back with you at Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Borky, tee me up a poll question on this Tuesday. In honor of the hand-sized conversation that everybody's having, what kind of NFL career do you think Joe Burrow is going to have? You think he'll be a Super Bowl-winning quarterback? 
a Matt Stafford-esque career, not a whole lot of high-level wins, but putting up really good numbers, or is he going to bust? Hmm. Betting on busting seems a little foolhardy, doesn't it? I mean, yes, because I think he's talented, but no, because he's going to play for one of the worst organizations. Is he great, though? Is he great enough to lift the Bengals? I don't know. Forget the Bengals. Forget the Bengals for a second. Cincinnati won three division titles with Andy Dalton. And they've been to two Super Bowls. Yeah, but they They have a terrible owner. Yeah. And they don't have good organizational structure, but like it's I mean, if you get a halfway decent coach in town around him, in terms of the on field product, I think they can overcome that. They sucked in the playoffs, but I mean, winning the AFC North three times is hard. We'll see. I, I guess I, I don't I don't know that he's great enough. I don't I don't know. So so here's my question. I say here's my question. Here's a question. We see quarterbacks get drafted number one overall where it turns out to work out, right? I mean, Andrew Luck, okay, injuries, career cut short, but that was successful in Indianapolis. Not as successful as they envisioned it, but it was successful. Peyton Manning, drafted number one overall. Terrible Indianapolis team. But he went on to be put into the conversation as great as, uh, the conversation for greatest quarterback to ever play. Cam Newton, taking number one overall. Carolina was bad. That's why they got to draft him number one. But he ended up carrying them to a Super Bowl. Jared Goff drafted to a pretty bad team in Los Angeles. Okay team in Los Angeles. They played in the Super Bowl last year. So there's a reason you go out and you get a quote-unquote franchise quarterback with the number one pick overall. So to me, Borky's question gets to the the, the crux of it is, is he going to be great? I picked Matt I, Stafford, I, I think, for a reason. Because I don't know if the way Cincinnati's run will set up to, to win championships. But, man, I know he had a really good supporting cast around him. And it's counterintuitive to arguments that we talk, especially in the offseason, about where really good quarterbacks come from. I think it there, there's a direct correlation to successful NFL quarterbacks and not playing at football factories. I mean, you look at the two guys in the Super Bowl, Eastern Illinois and Texas Tech, where Mahomes put up gaudy numbers and still lost games. It's, it, I think there is something to the idea of when you're in college not having the best offensive line and the best wide receivers and, and the best running backs and the best coaches every single Saturday where your job's not difficult. LSU was kind of that way. And if you look at successful NFL quarterbacks, even Tom Brady when he was at Michigan, those weren't good Michigan teams. Most of them, save Deshaun Watson, and I guess you can throw Baker Mayfield into that conversation, did not play at a football factory like Joe Burrow did. But even through all of that, the things that he was able to do with his capability, uh, with his movement in the pocket and the ability to make throws that not every college quarterback makes tells me that he is equipped and ready to play in the NFL. But where he's going to go tells me he's not going to win any championships. I heard somebody say, I I can't remember who it was, I heard somebody say earlier today that the whole draft process for the NFL is like, it's all manufactured. 
Because how you feel about a quarterback when they finish their last season of eligibility really should not be any different in how you feel about them when the draft rolls around in April. So why is it that the four-and-a-half-month window of measurables and, oh, this guy wants to play here, he wants to play there, and well, he threw at the combine or he didn't throw at the combine, and, oh, my goodness, he looked unbelievable in his pro day. Why is it that those four-and-a-half months seem to trump, at least in terms of the conversation, what a guy did on the field? You used Deshaun Watson a second ago as an example. You remember people tearing Deshaun Watson down between his last game at Clemson and when he was drafted? And then building Mitch Trubisky up? Yes. It's not just it's not just in the pros either. Think about things like twenty four seven. They they release their final rankings sometimes in, you know, the last week of January when somebody hasn't played in a game in two months. What made them, somebody will turn from a three star to a to a four star? What made that guy better in that time frame? Nothing, just people's perception. Yeah, his offer sheet. I, I was yeah. going to say, in turn, who who has offered him is is what changes on the twenty four seven front. All right, Rippy. So so you were a, a, a Joe Burrow fan. We we all turned into I think a Joe Burrow fan as the season went along. So where do you fall on the pro uh, the poll question? Is he a Super Bowl caliber quarterback? Does he have a career that looks something like Matt Stafford's, where he puts up a bunch of numbers but doesn't win anything of consequence, or is he a bust? It's probably like every other quarterback that come before him, like Carson Palmer, Andy Dalton, wins a decent amount of games, not transcendent enough to overcome the dysfunction at the top of the organization. So he'll be fine, but I would probably take Tua. You'd take Tua over Joe Burrow? Yeah, in terms of like arm talent and like. Like I'd rather have Tua as an NFL quarterback than Joe Burrow. I like Joe Burrow, but it's one year. Dude also got beat out by Dwayne Haskins and had a revolutionary type offensive system. Tua came Less in at risk. six foot even for whatever that's worth. Baker Mayfield's what five nine? Like I don't. I think that's or <laughs> Kyler Murray. Excuse me. I think that's been de- debunked at this point with the way uh, the NFL is going. But he'll be fine. He'll win games. He'll have a five hundred or above record for his career. Towards the end, and whether I mean, you can't ever tell the last two years if things go south or not, but he'll be fine. Hey, Dad, what is he for you? Super Bowl caliber, Super Bowl champion, Matt Stafford esque, or a bust in the NFL? It feels safe to play the middle here and say he's going to be a quarterback. <laughs> I, I like what Rippy said actually about the the two quarterbacks that have preceded him in Cincinnati. That you know he'll, they'll be okay, and he might even have some Pro Bowl kind of years. But the thought that he's going to be a Hall of Famer, I mean, it's just difficult to project those kind of things. When we talked with uh, Lane Kiffin last week and I asked him about, you know, kind of most talented quarterback he had ever been around, he said he wasn't coaching quarterbacks specifically at the time. He was working with wide receivers. But the name that he mentioned is one that you mentioned, Rippy. He said Carson Palmer. I think we forget how good Carson Palmer was at Southern Cal and dealt with some injuries and it was kind of an up and down at, at all, but like wildly talented. And this was. This was the elite quarterback at USC before Matt Leinart and before was it Matt Barkley that followed him? Yeah. I mean, Carson Palmer was the first in the line of just unbelievably talented quarterbacks. And you even had Matt Castle in that mix who never started at Southern Cal and ended up with a starting job in the NFL and made a boatload of money after New England traded him away, when he didn't he fill in for a half a season when Tom Brady got hurt? 
uh, whole season. 15 Brady games, they went 11-5. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Didn't make The only year they didn't make the playoffs, right? Pretty sure they're the last 11-win team to not make the playoffs as well. Yeah, that's remarkable that they didn't. Probably won't be the case anymore. Yeah. No, they, it doesn't look like, yeah, with the, the new changes. So, Borky, what about for you with Joe Burrow? Yeah, I'm thinking the uh, Matt uh, Stafford type of career. Kind of like what Rippy said. I, I mean, I think he's talented enough to put up really good numbers in the NFL, but there's too much ineptitude uh, within the franchise to build a Super Bowl winner. And, did Carson Palmer? Oh, sorry, Borky. No, go, and you've seen time and time again that even great quarterbacks need, I mean, phenomenal organizational structure around them to actually win. Ask Drew hey, Brees. Dad. Hey, Dad, where did Carson Palmer go after he left Cincinnati? With Arizona, didn't he? No, exactly. That's what I would have said, too. He allegedly, according to Wikipedia and his NFL profile page, spent two years in Oakland. That may have never, may as well never happened in my brain. I don't remember that. I had no memory of that, yeah. 20, Did he play? Yeah, he started ten, nine games one year. I'm guessing he got hurt and started 15 the other year. 2011 and 2012. I have When I say I have zero recollection of that, I don't remember that at all. I thought he went straight to Arizona. So he started yeah. 24 games over the course of two seasons for the Oakland Raiders. Yes. <laughs> and then had his last best six years, five years, whatever it was in Arizona. I don't remember that at all, though. You learn something okay. new every day. Well, well, here would be the other piece to that, and, and that would be a, a good example to use. Just because you get drafted number one overall and you go to Cincinnati doesn't mean you're going to spend your entire career there. He could spend eight years in Cincinnati and then could play seven years at two other spots in the NFL. Yeah, but who's a good quarterback? And I've got, I could be missing one. You never know. But who's a good quarterback that started off his career, wasn't great, got a, a change of scenery, and became great? Drew Brees. Brees Alex great Smith. I would never consider Alex Smith to be great. They had some really good Chiefs teams there. They just stunk in the good. playoffs. And he was good. He was good he was when he good. got benched. They were 7-1 and one when he got benched by for Kaepernick. Just got hurt. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. We've got plenty more. Let's dive into um, let's talk some hoops. Let's talk Ole Miss and Auburn when we come back, and then we'll get into a little bit more with Mississippi State and Alabama. Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday Let's talk some basketball. This uh, this matchup for Ole Miss tonight on the road against Auburn. Yeah, Rippy, you look at Ole Miss and it's it's like okay, you you talk about it and you cover it because it's a basketball game and that's what we do. And they're not folding the tent. They're going to continue to play hard and they're continuing to try to win and all of those things. But in terms of importance or what it means, I don't know how much it actually means. Does that make sense? They're playing out the string. Do what? They're playing out the string. Just what's left on the schedule? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing else left to play for. I, I suppose, I guess, if they ran the table and then did something in Nashville. That, yeah, Nashville, Nashville. They could make the NIT, but at this point, you're not really playing for anything other than pride. They probably would like to see some of these younger players continue to play well, Buffin, Henson, uh, what have you, but... I mean, outside of that, there's really not a whole lot there. I mean, they have given Auburn fits in the past. Two, I mean, the two wins against them last year got them into the tournament. 
had him on the brink in Oxford this year. But, I mean, outside of that, in terms of implications, uh, there there are none. What, Ole Miss led by 18, 19 against Auburn? And, you know, that's one of those games that you point to if you go, if that one turns out differently, then maybe it kind of changes things for the year. Maybe? Um yeah, I I think that's probably fair. Not at this point, but you have a whole different outlook going to Kentucky and Missouri. Ole Miss has won 12 of its last 15 games against Auburn. And Auburn's been pretty good for the last handful of years, including a 60-55 to win on the Plains last year. The 55 points scored by Auburn in that game, fewest points scored in an SEC home game under Bruce Pearl, and the fewest in any game at home, since um, losing to Coastal Carolina in 2014. That's just not what they do in that building. 83-82 in double overtime earlier this year. That was January 28th. Auburn won the game. Devontae Shuler has been at his best against Auburn. He's averaged 19 points over the last three games that he's played against Auburn. Let me use that as a jumping-off point. What's the deal with Devontae Shuler? Just hasn't been consistent. He's played fine in stretches. But I don't know. He just disappears for some parts of games. You forget he's out there. You know, that was I mean, that wasn't necessarily the case last year, but he also wasn't asked to score hardly at all. You had Terrence Davis and Brian Tyree playing opposite of him, and that, since he's kind of been counted on to assume more of a scoring responsibility, it just hasn't really panned out consistently. So Maybe it's more expectations. Maybe his, I mean, his roles changed all three years he's been here. I guess last year and this year is the most similar, but he, they, they were hoping he would score the basketball more. Maybe there's something to that. Aside from that, there's not really any tangible reasons. Like, he's healthy. Yeah. Borky, as you've watched Ole Miss this year, is there anything that you've seen with Devontae Shuler? Or is that just one of those things where you're kind of scratching your head going, why doesn't he play at a more consistent level? I, I keep wondering if he's healthy. Because you had that nagging foot injury last year. But I, I wonder, and I've watched all of the post-game videos and listened to the interviews, and nobody's hinted at that, but maybe that would explain it. Is there are some nights where it's just nagging him so bad that uh, he doesn't attack the basket as much as other nights? That That is the one thing that I think that would make the most sense, is that maybe there's something there uh, that is preventing him. Uh, and he doesn't beat guys off the dribble all that well either. So maybe there are just some nights where there's a defender where he, he can get some success on and others where he can't. That's not his best attribute. But that was always my guess, is that he's not healthy. Brian Tyree leads the SEC in points per game, 20.6, and leads the SEC in points per game in conference play at 24.7. Ole Miss is 4-10 in the SEC. Is Brian Tyree a first-team All-SEC player? Yeah, I think so. I think the clip that he scored at for the last month and a half has been ridiculous. I mean, hell, he had 28 points before he fouled out in 30 minutes the other night. But, I mean, he might have a decent SEC Player of the Year case if his team were better, but there is a certain level of winning that has to accompany that, and it hasn't happened. So, yeah, I think so. I don't think you got to go 16-2 and in the league to to be a guy that wins Player of the Year, but being – six games below 500 or four to play probably doesn't get you there. Is Reggie Perry a first-team All-SEC guy, hey, Dad? I would think so. Averaging a double-double. He's been consistent all year. Yeah, especially... We also have to take into account that you know they're going to name nine guys for the first-team All-SEC. So if you're asking me if he's one of the top nine players in the league, yeah. But even if they just named a starting five, I would think your, your two forwards would be 
would be him and Richards. Yeah. You know, the the only thing for me, and, and, and I don't think it's possible that the trio of guards that Kentucky's got kind of hurts them in terms of all SEC, because that trio may be the best trio of guards in the entire country with Emmanuel Quickly and Tyrese Maxey and Ashton Hagens. But in terms of a first-team all-SEC player, I mean, maybe one of those three makes it, but kind of feels like they might split votes a little bit as well. Certainly possible. Very possible. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then, I mean, you know, if you're trying to round that team out, let, let's say it was a starting five, if Brian Tyree's there and uh, Reggie Perry's there and Nick Richards are there, who else are you adding to that team? And Mason Jones had a pretty ridiculous stretch at Arkansas, but has not played as well as of late. Um, yeah, Kerry Blackshear at Florida, who was the preseason SEC Player of the Year. Andrew Nimhard, who leads the SEC in assists and scores in double digits. A couple of candidates there. Anthony, uh, I don't think Mike Coatsar from South Carolina will be named first team. I think he's probably an all-league performer, but not a first-team guy. I, I'm sorry, Anthony hey, Edwards. Dad, I missed what you said. Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards at Georgia. What about Samir Dowdy at Auburn? Can make it, certainly make a case for him. Yeah, he's top Kyra Lewis scoring. Jr. from Alabama is probably going to be on that team. Yeah. I think we've gone past five. We have. We're, we're, we're at that point again. Yeah. Um, so what about the matchup tonight? You know Alabama's going to shoot a million threes. That's what they do. It's their second consecutive road game after winning in Oxford on uh, Saturday night. What concerns you about this matchup, and what gives you reason for optimism for Mississippi State? There's not a lot of optimism for me, specifically <laughs> just because, well, I mean, you know, I made a brand out of that, I guess. But, uh, I mean, I, I, the way State's played the past few weeks, I don't know why you would think that they could come in and, and, and you know, get things turned around. But State's perimeter defense this year has not been great. It's been, you know, bad at times. Um, we, they scored 90 points on them over there in Tuscaloosa. Uh, for me, yeah, I, I, I see this game as, as State. I don't know that they they have the game plan, you know, to to do this. I, I don't know that they, you know, I don't think they have anybody who can stay in front of Kyra Lewis, so that's going to, you know, set up some open shots for them. Um, and I just don't know, I just don't know mentally if if State is is still in it. You know, I think I think they the Saturday's game. I want to see if they, you know, that took something out of them. If they, you know, are going to stop clicking because they know it's probably over for them, so you know that they could easily come out and sort of rally around, round themselves, and and put together a strong performance tonight. But for me, I, I'm concerned that this state team is going to uh, fold up just a little bit. How? You, but I mean, is it over if they're on the first four out? I mean, Mississippi State is currently fourth in the group of four teams that are part of the first four out from Joe Lenardi. I, I get that, but you know, just for me, I, I don't think they're going. I mean, these last four games, I don't see them winning all four of them, and I think staying on that bubble is contingent on doing that. So, you know, I, I understand what the analytics say and all that. Oh, but I disagree you, with you because you the other teams that are on the bubble aren't going to win all four of their games remaining. I mean, I guess you got a point there, but I just, I guess it's just difficult I mean, to, to to say because I'm not look. I'm just looking at state. I'm not looking at everything as a whole. 
And uh, but for me, I mean, I, this, I just don't like where this basketball team is. I haven't really since the, the Ole Miss game. You know, to me, that's the thing that if you're at this point of the year on the bubble, okay, does zero and four disqualify you? Sure. Does four and zero make it without a doubt? Absolutely. But after that, you're kind of it's like horse trading almost. I mean, if you look at the current currently the last four in. NC State had a great win against Duke a week ago. Just blew them out of the water. As a result, they're in the NCAA tournament right now. Providence, they've been up and down. Oklahoma's been up and down. Southern Cal? Because the Pac-12 is so dominant? And then first four out. Stanford? Just okay? I know absolutely nothing about the Richmond Spiders. My guess is Richmond has very little margin for error. Beat Syracuse one time as a 15. UCLA. First year for Mick Cronin. They probably overachieved a little bit. But, I mean, are you confident? And I, I don't have their schedule in front of me. Are you confident that UCLA is going to go 3-1 and one in the remainder of the regular season? And then you got Mississippi State. And the teams that are trailing them, Memphis, Arkansas, Alabama, Georgetown, they're all Jekyll and Hyde. Is there anybody that doesn't love Bruce Arians? Is that the guy among football coaches that you're like, I like him. He tells it like it is. Hey, Dan, how about Bruce Arians speaking truth today at the Combine? Quote, let's hear it. You might run a 4-3, but your tape says you're 4-6. You might run a 4-6, but your tape says you're 4-3. The tape don't lie. The combine lies. You can fall at the lo- in love at the combine and get your beep broke. That's refreshing honesty from an NFL head coach, isn't it? Yeah. It's true, too. It really is. Wonder what he thinks about Jameis's recent LASIK eye surgery. <laughs> he probably thinks maybe we should have tried that last July. If the NFL wants really good content, they should go back because uh, basically every coach and quarterback is mic'd up as as we've learned, even if they're not part of like the broadcast mic'd up. Give me like the first forty five seconds after all of Jameis's thirty interceptions. Hmm. You couldn't play it anywhere. <laughs> Nothing you could do with that other than laugh quietly. It would be for HBO and HBO only. There's somebody in response to that Bruce Arians, uh, you know, it was it was quoted by a media person, and they go, they go say, "Well, where are the lies?" And the you go running without pads after months of technical refinement to get as fast as possible in a non-game scenario doesn't always translate to speed on the field. Why do teams allow themselves, why do coaches, front office people, etc., allow themselves to get so enamored with guys that jump off the page of the combine? Now, certainly, there are some where it makes sense, right? You remember Don Terry Poe from Memphis? 
He was kind of below yeah. the radar as a defensive lineman while he was at Memphis. He's a good player, not a great player. And then they got him in the combine setting, and he just blew people away. And then they went back and were like, wow, this guy can play. He's had a good NFL career. So there's some that are like that. Yeah. And then there's Mike Mamula. Who? Yeah, Mike Mamula. Okay. Tell me about him. Uh, I forget what year it was, but he went to the Combine and just put on an absolute show. But, you know, had a pretty nondescript career at Boston College. He was the seventh pick of the draft and did nothing. There you go. Or Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah, it's just... It really does kill me sometimes. you listening to people talk about the Combine. All that matters is what you do in the game. Now, I'm just going to watch the games. I, I feel... And I'm not a scout, and I never claim to be one, but I feel pretty confident I can judge a guy pretty quickly. Just how did he play in big games? How did he play when he played against guys that you know were also talented players? And if the answer is, yeah, he did great, then he's probably a good football player. See Watson, Deshaun, as my as that's be my primary example. It's Mitchell Trubisky, Borky, in his first two years at North Carolina, didn't play much. A little bit in 2015. He had a good senior or junior season. Completed 68% of his passes for 3,800 yards, 30 touchdowns, and six interceptions. But was that enough to vault him into the top five? Apparently so. I feel like they, they use the principles they apply to the later round selections for the early round selections, and that's where everything gets all screwed up. When you're drafting in the sixth and seventh rounds or, or I mean, even fourth or fifth, right? You, It's really hard to tell. Some of these guys maybe either didn't play a whole lot or played at fringe places. Your can't-miss surefire prospects aren't guys that you need to do like hand-size evaluation on, but yet they still do that when you're looking at guys in those later rounds and there's no discernible difference between this corner and that corner, then yeah, maybe you look at, well, this guy's vertical is three inches higher. So maybe he's just a little bit more explosive when everything else is created equal. But when you're looking at quarterbacks, and Deshaun Watson had... The skill set with him and Trubisky is the same, if not much better. But they applied those kind of principles. They looked at these things that didn't apply to actual football to separate them when it was a little bit more obvious, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, Josh Allen's working out in Buffalo, but that one was still... I mean, he wasn't good in college. He wasn't good in high school, even. That's why he ended up at Wyoming in the first place. It's working out for Buffalo, but it's not like he was good in the playoffs. That's a good point. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. We will talk with Ryan Brown from WJOX in Birmingham. When we come back after a short break on the Farm Bureau phone line, sit tight. Ceasefire tax lines open 601-879-4395. That again is the Ceasefire text line. Mississippi's future depends on Senate Bill 2284 and House Bill 1165. Join Ceasefire. And the fight and tell your legislator to support computer science for every school. Text FUTURE to 50457 or visit OurMSFuture.com 
to get started. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com, and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Our good friend Ryan Brown from WJOX, Jocks Roundtable in Birmingham. It's been a while, Ryan. What's up, man? Not much, Richard. You doing okay? I am. Thank you. Um, so this Scott Cochran thing, how big a deal is this for Nick Saban, uh, Scott Cochran, the longtime strength and conditioning coach for Alabama, now being on Kirby Smart's staff at Georgia? Well, I think the big deal, I mean, it's a couple things. Number one, he was an original Saban assistant. So this is a guy that has been there since day one. And for a lot of the time he was there, was viewed as the best strength and conditioning coach in America. Now, obviously, that's subjective. Some would argue for the guy in Iowa who's the highest paid or some others. But either way, you know, he was highly regarded in that position, and the players all loved him. Uh, he was just kind of a fixture. He had become a quasi-celebrity. I mean, I, I would make an argument Steve Sarkeesian's pretty um, – people, I think, would recognize him. But just out and about in the community, he's probably the most recognizable guy on the staff other than Nick Saban. So I think it was it was kind of a jolt. To a lot of people that he would consider leaving this at this late stage as, as long as he's been in Tuscaloosa. Do you believe this was something where Kirby felt like he had a chance to get Nick Saban, or do you think that Kirby believes he is upgrading his on-field coaching staff by bringing Scott Cochran in? Um, I think he feels like he's upgrading his program. I, I don't know that I would say his on-field coaching staff. I do think um, if Scott Cochran or at most any other school in America, maybe any other school in America, Kirby Smart wouldn't consider hiring him. But I think he and Scott Cochran are close. They got close in uh, Kirby's time in Tuscaloosa. And I don't think there's any doubt that knowing, you know, the headlines this would make, the PR this would make, and the look it would have on the recruiting trail for Kirby Smart and Scott Cochran to be able to walk into kids' uh, living room and say, look, you know, he was on Nick Saban's staff. He'll have to come with me. Why would you want to go play for Nick Saban? And probably, if I had to guess, sell a little bit of the Nick Saban's getting old and retirement is soon and he doesn't have much time left. Why are you going to go play for a coach you don't know? Come play at Georgia. Come play for us. So, you know, I, I think as much as anything, that's what that had to do with it. It's hard to believe he thinks it's an upgrade because other than special teams, uh, scout team in Alabama, Scott Cochran really hasn't been an on-the-field coach, and he's never been an on-the-road recruiter. So, you know, it's a, it's a very unproven coach. You, you know kind of what you're getting as the person and the motivator and the psychologist thing, but he's an unproven coach, so it's hard to believe, you know, he thought he was vastly upgrading his coaching staff by making this hire. What was the relationship between Kirby and Scott Cochran? Were they close when they were on staff together? Does that have anything to do with this? Yeah, no, I think they were. Um, you know, that staff is kind of closed off, obviously, to the media. Um, yeah. But, yeah, he and he and Kirby are about the same age. Kirby's a little bit older than Scott Cochran. Scott's in his 40s. But, you know, especially on that early staff, early Nick Saban, you know, you go back to that staff, Joe Pendry was the O-line coach. He's kind of an older guy. Kevin Still was the defensive coordinator. You, you know, uh, this was a decade ago. Kevin was in his 50s. You know, Major Applewhite was the offensive coordinator. There weren't a ton of young guys, though, on that staff outside of Major and Kirby Smart and Scott. So they were kind of the same age, and I think they probably bonded around that. And, yeah, I think they were very close. And, and when Kirby first got the Georgia job, he tried to lure Cochran away as just the strength and conditioning coach. He wanted him, you know, to make that lateral move, perhaps for a raise. 
But I'll tell you another guy, Lane Kiffin is very fond of him as well. Lane Kiffin, is, as you know, trying to make this hire himself. He did. And couldn't get the deal closed. I don't know if that's because Cochran knew the Kirby Smart thing was on the table. I don't know. But, I mean, I think it speaks highly of what these guys think of Cochran, that both Kirby Smart and Lane Kiffin have tried to make this hire. Ryan Brown, co-host of the Jocks Roundtable on WJOX in Birmingham. Great radio show. Uh, six until ten every weekday morning. So there's no reason for Nick Saban to be insecure about anything, right? We we can agree about that, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think he's pretty secure in his spot. Absolutely. And, and yet, I wonder if there are things that bother him. I'm not just trying to manufacture something. I was just thinking about this earlier. Nick Saban's accomplished everything. National championships, more first-round draft picks than anybody. But he hasn't had a number one overall pick. Do you think that bothers him? You know, Alabama's never had one in the NFL era. They had really? one back in the, I can't remember the name, but this is back, you know, in the old, old, you know, whatever it was before the NFL. So in the NFL era... Alabama, the modern day, they've never had a number one pick. I don't know that it bothers Saban. I think it does bother some Alabama fans because, you know, just honestly, as an Alabama fan, there's not a whole lot of things opposing fan bases can hold over your head. That's one of them, though. It used to be that Alabama never had a Heisman winner. They they fixed that. Um, I, I don't know that that bothers Nick Saban. Um, but it, it is it is certainly something that gets brought up every, just about every time the draft rolls around in this state that it's never happened. Never happened in Tuscaloosa. So... Um, I think it probably bothers fans just a little bit, but yeah, it's easy to get over if you're an Alabama fan. There's a lot to celebrate, but that that is the one thing that Alabama really can't brag about is that they've never had an overall number one draft pick in the NFL. Yeah, I guess the um, I guess the number of first round picks probably kind of outweighs that though when it's all said and done because it's like yeah. five a year. Yeah. Yeah, it is, and, and, you know, more so than any time in the history of Alabama football, you're able to turn the TV on Sunday and see guys all over the field that played at Alabama. You know, even as successful as Alabama was over the years, you didn't always get that. You know, it was kind of a big deal around here. You know, like, oh, Derek Thomas is on TV this weekend, or, you know, Cornelius Bennett or Bobby Humphrey or somebody's on TV this weekend. That was kind of a big deal in this state. Now, just about any game you watch has an Alabama guy in it, so... You know, more so now than ever, you're able to turn on the TV and see NFL guys that played at Alabama all over the field. When September rolls around, do you think Mac Jones is going to be the starting quarterback? I, I think, yeah, I do, because I think I'm higher on Mac Jones than just about anybody. Um, well, I shouldn't say that, but, you know, a lot of people... I mean, his mom probably are, more so than you. Yeah, I mean, the, the Jones family, perhaps even Nick Saban or Steve Sarkeesian, maybe Mac himself. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I like what Mac Jones has done. A lot of people would look at the Iron Bowl and say, wow, he threw two pick sixes. Yeah, he did. But he also led his team to 45 points on the road against that Auburn defense. And that, that's not easy to do, man. That Jordan Hare is a tough place to play, especially in the Iron Bowl. That Auburn defense is really good. And, I mean, it was not the offense's fault that they lost that game, really. So, I, um, you know, I and I look at what he did against Michigan. I know bowl games, I don't tend to put a lot of stock in those, but he played very well. You, you look at the starts he made, his start against Arkansas, he was very good. I know it's Arkansas, but still, those you got to play those games. Um, I, I thought Mac Jones played very, very well, and he's got a lot coming back around him, a good offensive line, Najee Harris behind him, and 
some other really talented running backs. You got Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle back at receiver. Um, I, I think he's set up to have a tremendous year. I, I don't know that he'll lead the SEC in passing, but it wouldn't shock me if, if the fall off isn't as drastic as everybody thinks going from Tua Tagovailoa to Mac Jones. All right. So if you think he's starting in September, assuming he stays healthy, do you think he's still starting at the end of November? Uh, yeah, because I think he'll play well. And, and I okay. know why you asked the question because you got a young guy like Bryce Young pushing him along. Um, but I think they'll be able to get Bryce Young enough playing time to get his feet wet and keep him happy. And maybe, who knows, maybe it ends up like a Jalen Hurts to a Thunder Blow situation where, you know, there is a freshman obviously pushing a veteran and he looks better than the veteran at times. That might be the case. But um, I, I don't think it will be. I think he's a good enough player that he'll be able to start wire to wire for Alabama. I, I have got a lot of confidence in Mike Jones. I think he can have a good year. All right, so so you made the two uh, um, Jalen comparison. Is that the right comparison, or is the better comparison Jake Fromm and Justin Fields? Um, yeah, maybe. Well, I know the only reason I would say that's not as good a comparison is because you know Fromm had a lot of time with Fields left, but potentially with Fields made that decision. I think. You know, I think um, Bryce Young could see playing time quicker than what Justin Fields is looking at. So I, I don't think Bryce Young would have a, you know, an urge to transfer. But I will say this: it is a crowded quarterback room. Uh, you've got Talia Tungavoa, the younger brother of Tua. You've got uh, Paul Tyson, who is, uh, you know, was a highly regarded recruit in this recruit in this area out of U.S. Trustville. Uh, so there, there are four quarterbacks there, and only one of them is going to start, and only two of them are going to get significant playing time. So it wouldn't shock me if you see a transfer out of that room, but I don't think it'll be Bryce Young. Ryan, always appreciate your time. Like a big, big old college football sandwich right there at the end of February. Good stuff, my friend. I, I love it. Thanks, Richard. Take care. All right, we'll talk to you soon. That's Ryan Brown from the Jocks Roundtable, uh, Jocks FM in Birmingham. Take a quick timeout. Be right back. Ryan joined us on the Farm Bureau phone line. They are in the top of the second inning at Swayze Field. Southern Miss and Ole Miss scoreless on... Really not too bad of a, uh, a Tuesday afternoon. Upper 50s, little bit of sun still out, kind of cloudy. But uh, You'll take given it. the weather that we've had lately, yes, Michael Borky, I agree. You will take it. Man, we had three or four days of nothing but sun uh, over the last few, obviously. But then it rained yesterday, and it's like that sun did nothing for the ground. I mean, just standing water in my yard again after that. Unbelievable. Yeah, three or four, you need like three or four weeks almost at this point. Mississippi State, couple of runs on the board in the bottom of the first inning. How did it happen? Hey, Dad. Uh, looks like they they're doing the old manufacturing thing. We've got some uh, some sack flies and and Fielder's choices bringing in runs for Mississippi State. Uh-huh. Uh, Justin Foscue, the sack fly, picked up an RBI. Uh, Pimentel reached on a fielder's choice and picked up an RBI as well. So a couple of runs on two hits for Mississippi State in the first inning. Left a couple of guys on base. They lead it Texas uh, over Texas Southern two to nothing. Uh, did you say Texas Southern was zero and nine? That's what I said. Yes, niner. 
No wins, nine air losses. Ugh. That's um, it's a little yucky. Yeah, state playing Texas Southern and uh, Alcorn in one week, that is an RPI bomb. Got, got to spread those out a little bit better. Well, then in a few weeks, right, they have Texas Tech, depending on the poll you look at, the number one team in the country, and then they have to, what is it, go to Baton Rouge? Yeah, that's that's a heck of a week. <laughs> How was your spring break? I mean, you could legit go 0-5 that week and maybe not move in the polls. So that is that is spring break week, right? Yeah, that's the week of the SEC tournament, correct. And so the game... Once I got out of school, I stopped thinking about it in terms of spring break week and thinking about it in terms of what do I have to do at work. It's Arkansas, yeah. excuse me, not LSU. It's Texas Tech on Tuesday and Wednesday of that week. and oh, that's right. In yeah. Biloxi, right? In Biloxi, yeah. and then they host Arkansas. So that is five games in six days that are tough. The LSU is the next weekend. That's State's first two opening series, at home in Arkansas and at LSU. Hey. Well, hope you came to play fun baseball games against good teams. <laughs> yeah. You know... When, when you when you rewind to our preseason conversation with Mike Bianco, it kind of stood out to me a little bit because we were asking him about the schedule, and he's like, "Look, our guys didn't come here to play nobodies. They they want to play against the best teams. Now, would you like to have a breather from time to time? Sure, but would you really be that excited or that much more excited about, you know, no offense intended." An opening series against Prairie View A and M, where you win three games by a final total of thirty-seven to four, or facing the number one team in the country and winning two out of three, kind of makes some sense. Yeah, I mean those—that's a hard week for Mississippi State. But when you think about the competitors on that team and the fact that Mississippi State's a really good baseball team, which would you rather do? Would would you rather play? ULM twice in Biloxi in front of, you know, seventeen hundred people one night and twenty two hundred people the next night, and then come home to face Arkansas. Or would you like to play a top ten Texas Tech team? I w- wouldn't you think the crowds will be pretty good, three or four thousand per game. You would think so, yeah. Especially if the weather cooperates. Yeah. Down on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, don't get to see Mississippi State very often. Top ten matchup. And then you get ready for the Razorbacks. I mean, I guess there's a balancing act, but I, I get it. And and from a fan standpoint, I, I mean, I always would look like at, um, I don't know, maybe Stanford's schedule. I feel like Stanford always kind of did that. Like they, they would play a four-game series at Texas, and then the next weekend they would host Vanderbilt. Like, man, that's a non-conference schedule there. You can get behind that. And if you win half of them and lose half of them, probably works out about as well as winning, going 7-1 and one against, you know, teams that are at 150 in the RPI. Anyway. Baseball scoreboard right now. North Florida and South Carolina playing in the fourth inning in Columbia. They're tied at four. Kentucky leading Tennessee Tech 4-2 to two in the third. Alabama beating Tennessee Martin 6-4 in the fourth. Tennessee trying to stay undefeated. They are uh, playing the Norse of Northern Kentucky, lead at 3-0. Told you Mississippi State ahead early in their ballgame. Two-zip uh, two over Texas Southern. Georgia leading Kennesaw State 3-zip. 
Ole Miss and Southern Miss scoreless top of the second. Golden Eagles have got a runner on second with two down. Later tonight, Evansville, the Purple Aces. They are at Vanderbilt. Alabama A&M is at Auburn. Auburn, uh, tough weekend, uh, losing all three to um, UCF. Houston Baptist is at Texas A&M, and Florida and Florida A&M were supposed to play each other, but that game has been postponed because of weather issues in Gainesville. Sports Talk Mississippi, C Spire text line open, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. If you want to be a part of the conversation, we would love for you to do just that. Hey, Dad, let's, uh, let's circle back to the, the hoops contest tonight in Starkville. And I don't want to beat a dead horse on this, but to me it's, a, it's compelling. Uh, this is a storyline that matters. Mississippi State's got a chance to get to the NCAA tournament. I feel like in a lot of ways fans have checked out on this team. Like, I'm done. I'm done with Ben Howland. Well, but why would you be done with a team that's got four games left in the regular season, has the SEC tournament in front of them, and is squarely on the bubble? I don't understand why people would check out on this team. Well, they would have to check in first, wouldn't they? Mississippi State fans haven't been checked into men's basketball since Jarvis Bernardo and Barry Stewart were on the court. So why? Help, help me understand. I, I I don't understand why. It's just it's just broken, man. It's just it's when after Stansberry left, the three years of Rick Ray, and then now you know we're in year five of Howland, and you're just not what you you know. You think about what the decade from 2000 to 2009 was for Mississippi State. That's the true okay. glory days of MSU basketball beyond, you know, the Babe McCarthy days, which those are never coming back. Well, and, the Final Four run in 96. Well, yeah, but even that, I mean, how many lo- – you sandwiched about – that are between, you know, about five losing seasons that decade. I mean, the 90s – from okay. 91 through 96 were pretty good, and then after 96, you fell off a cliff. Um, so People just have just, you know – they just have given up on it, you know. They, they're not willing to put the effort in anymore. But you know, and then the, the rise of the women have have hurt their have hurt the the men. And I, I just you know, Mississippi State fans, by and large, they just don't care about men's basketball anymore. And it will take the way it took you know a few years of losing to break everybody completely. It would take a few years of of having consistent tournament teams, a team that plays good from start to finish, which is difficult to ask for. But a team that, you know, yeah, they lose some games, but they're not losing games to Louisiana Tech and New Mexico State, and they're not getting run off the court in Oxford. I mean, I said it a few weeks ago. It feels like every time State's had a chance to win a game where you think, okay, if they win this game, everybody's going to be buying back in. And really the last three years it's been against Ole Miss. They lose the game. And, yeah. and people just, they're just not going to find time for it. I've always felt like Mississippi State, fans were unbelievably responsive to success. Like, they were willing to go, you know what, I'm out. But with just a little bit of success, would come back in droves. Like, Kroom, out. But then Dan Mullen comes in, there's a little bit of progress, and everybody's back on board. Now, at times, that waned a little bit. Then you kind of get to the end of the the Dan Mullen tenure, and the crowds were big, and they were into it. 
Never felt like they completely buyed in on Joe Moorhead, but you still had some big crowds mixed in there. There were some lean years in baseball, but man, people came back like immediately. And I guess I'm just, you know, they have have wrapped their arms around this women's basketball program, and with good reason. Vic Schaefer and his team have earned it. Yeah. I just, it, it seems like this is the one thing where state fans have said, I'm good, man. I'm good. And, I mean, and you're, I, you're right. You're right. This is state fans have tapped out on men's basketball. And until there's a huge shift in the way things are, it's just going to be that way. So you don't think it's a window within a season that can build the momentum back. You think it's multiple to, years of incremental have, progress to get it back. You would have to have an incredible season. Force Talk Mississippi, we will be right back. A couple more questions on this line after we uh, come back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Brian Scott Rippey has scooted out for the afternoon. Busy sports day. you got Ole Miss and Southern Miss playing baseball right now in Oxford. Big scoring opportunity for Southern Miss. Bases loaded with two outs, top of the second inning. Ole Miss has gone to the bullpen and Taylor Broadway. Uh, Mississippi State leading early against Texas Southern in their game in Starkville. Some of you have asked questions on the ceasefire text line about why no baseball on the radio today. It's simple. Because Ole Miss and Mississippi State both have basketball games tonight, and the pregame shows would likely begin before the baseball show broadcast would end. Uh, they are local broadcast only. So you've got the baseball game in Starkville uh, on the radio. You've got Ole Miss's game on the radio in Oxford. Uh, beyond that, if you want to stream it to listen it, uh, listen to it, you can do that with either the video stream or the uh, the audio stream. So you're stuck with us. Ole Miss basketball coverage begins at 5:30. Mississippi State basketball coverage begins tonight at 7:30. But Borky, hey Dad, we're sure happy to be with you. Uh, I'll zip it. <laughs> Big strikeout for Taylor Broadway to get out of the inning. He got Gabe Montenegro swinging, and Southern Miss leaves the bases loaded. And the top of the second, Ole Miss coming to the plate in the bottom of the second. All right, hey, Dad, so I want to go back to the conversation we were having a few minutes ago about Mississippi State basketball fans, what it would take to get them back on board, and that's considering the fact that this is a bubble team right now. They could be potentially an NCAA tournament team, which makes it all the more confounding. So we got a text a second ago, and it was related to Richard Williams. So you want to get Mississippi State fans back on board, uh, bring them back the guys, the best coach in the building every night, talking about Richard Williams. There's a, there is a touch of revisionist history there. Like when it Richard Williams will always be the guy that got Mississippi State to the final four. That's not going away. But you pointed out a second ago that following the 96 season, that team went downhill for a while. And Mississippi State moved on. History has been – time heals everything. And you know how big of a fan I am of Richard Williams. Love having him on the radio show. Love talking ball with him. I think he's fantastic as an announcer, and I think he was a fantastic coach. 
I think he'd be a fantastic coach today. I don't know that he has any interest in that whatsoever right now. But is that a reasonable argument? Or is that just somebody saying, well, if you gave me this, then I would come back? When in reality, that's not what it is. That's not what it is. That's not what it is at all. Uh, you know, and first off, you know, like you said, Richard Williams is a is a fantastic basketball coach, but you know, State did not go and do anything with that Final Four appearance. You know, they, they didn't turn that into becoming a a true power. You know, they won the SEC in '91 and then didn't make it back to the tournament for four more years. Um, so it's it's not like the success was consistent under Richard Williams. Now I do agree that his teams were very tough and you know played with a lot of, of heart and grit and you know and that's something that's I, I have felt is lacking at times under under Ben Hallen. But that's not why. It's just it's difficult to explain in that you know because you, you see the the big crowds for the women and there's certainly enough people who live. And this, this isn't about getting people to come up from Jackson and, and from you know central Mississippi. There's enough people in the Starkville, in the Golden Triangle, plus you know you know an hour away in Tupelo and, and, and places like that, to consistently get you know five six thousand a night for the men, and then you know on the weekends to get more. But for whatever reason, Mississippi State fans they've just abandoned it. They, you know, I've talked about Howland a bunch, and that you know, what is Howland's signature win at Mississippi State? What's his best win? Baylor on the road in the NIT. I mean, I guess that's it. But that's an I mean, NIT I'm, game. I mean, I'm not trying to be flippant. No, no, you're not. You're not. I mean, I when I ask the question, I don't have a game in mind. You know, and we talked about is there a a moment in the season versus you know? I think there are moments in the season. I think I, I look back to last season a lot where State was so good in the non-conference. They only lost the one game. They beat Cincinnati at home. They had a lot of momentum, and then right out of the shoot in the SEC, you go zero and two, including losing to Ole Miss at home, and all the air went out of the balloon. Mm-hmm. You win five out of six this year in the SEC. You get yourself back into it a good bit, and then you go up to the Pavilion and you you get embarrassed. And it's just, it's just, they're never able to string together. It's, it's, it's just like, it's like a, a play on the court sometimes. They're not making that last pass they have to make to score the bucket. And it's, it's, they just end up invariably just turning it over. And now we're sort of back at the beginning, you know? And the, the, uh, I made a, I thought this was a pretty good analogy, but in, in, I, I can't believe I'm going to make it here on the show, but. Uh, in Greek mythology, the, the the myth of Sisyphus, the guy who rolls the stone up the hill every day only for it to fall back down every every night, and he has mm-hmm. to roll it back up again. That's what Ben Howland is. He rolls the stone up, and right when he's going to get to the top, something happens, and the stone falls down, and we got to start all the way back over. And it's been like this basically for the past three or four years, where you feel like if they could just do this, everybody would. I, th- I honestly think if State had beaten Ole Miss a couple weeks ago, then gone on the road and beaten Arkansas, that South Carolina game last week, you might have had eight or nine thousand, but they didn't. They lost that game, and they lost it in embarrassing fashion. And so everybody just said, "Well, no, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to. You know, I'm not going to. Embar- I'm not going to. You know, put myself into this again." Sure. Steven says, "Feel like we talk about this with state basketball a lot. I feel exactly like Hey Dad put it. I'm tired of getting up and excited about basketball and then just throwing a game away." Here's a message that says, when fans stop paying attention and quit coming to games as a sign, they that's a sign they want something to change. And then somebody said, with regard to what you mentioned a second ago about playing hard, diving for balls, the grit, the toughness, uh, it's from the 615 area code, says, 
this is my point. I know it's not realistic to bring Richard Williams back. My point is people are tired of watching fundamentally unsound, whining, lack of physicality, etc. The thing for me, though, hey, Dad, and, and obviously you're watching it much more closely than I am, and Mississippi State fans, generally speaking, are watching it much more closely than I am. You get that sum. Like you, you'll have a game where the energy level is exceptional, and they're nasty on the boards, and they're making shots. And by the way, I think making shots makes all of those other things look like they're happening, whether they're actually happening or not. You're when right. you make shots, everything looks different. It looks like you're hustling. It looks like you're playing better defense. It looks like you're diving for loose balls because you're making shots and you got a different feeling. When you go four for 17 for three, everything else looks bad. Yeah. Just, I, I believe that is a fundamental truth of basketball. That being said, I feel like Mississippi State plays some games where you see all of those attributes that we were just talking about a second ago. They just don't play every game that way. They play two tremendous games back-to-back with Georgia and Missouri. Completely dominated both of those teams. And I thought, you know, maybe it's a coincidence or not, those were two of the better crowds. And I thought those were crowds where people were trying to, you know, maybe put their foot back in the pool a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, you, you then you, I think then they lost to Oklahoma, came back and, you know, one, I, I, I'm forgetting the schedule off the top of my head, but long story short, like I said, I felt like everything was sort of the, the Ole Miss game was going to be a tipping point. And if State had won that other. game, yeah, one way or the other, and it, it tipped it back down the hill. Hmm. And that's just that's just where we are right now. And, you know, here, I think fans would come back. If Look at this team right now. If I could take away three losses, if I could say that they, they won those two non-conference games they probably should have, Louisiana Tech and New Mexico, and if I could give them State. back one of those – New Mexico State, I'm sorry, yeah. And if, if I could give them back one of those buzzer-beater losses, LSU or Oklahoma, yeah, I think people would be into the team, but they're not. Yeah. All right. Tell me if this is the silver bullet. Build a new building. Does that bring people back? You know, it, it did with Auburn and Ole Miss. And yeah. Auburn, obviously, has capitalized on it. They've turned it into a good team. Ole Miss was good last year. They just haven't been good this year. The problem is that's not happening. They're not building a new building. They're going to renovate the hump, and I, I'm not a huge fan of that plan. Having traveled, you know, been to the Pavilion, having been to the Auburn Arena, and seen what those buildings look like as compared. I mean, maybe it's just sort of the the situation of I can't visualize what the new hump will look like, and once I actually see it, I could you know go back. Okay, they actually did a good job here, but for me, I, I would start at ground zero and just re, just rebuild. How far down the road are they on? I mean, is it, is it so far down the road that there's no discussion about changing the idea? I I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I know that you know, no ground has been broken or anything. There's no talk of you know when this season is over they're going to start. Yeah, it's 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 just a plan right now uh, as to when they start. I don't know. I don't even know that I've seen a specific dollar figure attached to that. It was what last May. When the announcement came that uh, Humphrey Coliseum was going to be yeah. renovated, but don't remember a specific dollar amount tied to that. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. We will wrap up the 4 o'clock hour with you in just a couple of minutes after a quick timeout. Walk the
Texas Southern scored three runs in the top of the second inning. And they lead it 3-2 to two over Mississippi State. Now Bulldogs batting in the bottom of the second. And a quick top of the third for Southern Miss. Still no score between Ole Miss and Southern Miss in Oxford. 3-2 to two, Texas Southern leading it over Mississippi State. Hey, Ned, was there a home run? No, just some more manufacturing of the runs. Casey Hunt uh, really what is this? struggled there. No, no big flies. Come on. <laughs> I don't know. Casey Hunt really struggled that inning. Uh, I'm trying to find his pitch count. It was high, 46 pitches. After an, uh, sorry, he threw it eight pitches in the first inning, and then uh, so 34 in the second inning. Two hits and two walks. Hit a batter. Gave up three runs. Mm, it was more than that. If he only threw eight in the first inning, eight 38, 40, sorry, yeah. 46 in the second inning. 38, you're correct. Um, It was 38 strikes he threw in the game. Inning and two-thirds. I don't know. We're just making up numbers at this point, by the way. I mean, I'm looking here on Twitter. He threw 46 pitches, so I imagine he... Stat broadcast says that he threw 54 pitches and 35 strikes. Maybe that was just the inning then, 46 46 pitches. Yeah, it may have been. So an inning and two-thirds, two hits, three earned runs, two walks, a strikeout, a couple of wild pitches, hit a batter. So not really the outing that uh, you were hoping for. The two hits he gave up were singles, but the uh, free passes uh, coming back to bite him as well. And who's this in now, Dunleavy? Yeah, David Dunleavy, who pitched uh, this weekend. He's not here, but I'll take take it for Rippey and say that's uh, suboptimal. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. I would uh, agree with you on uh, on that front. You want to be part of the conversation? You can on the C Spire text line 601-879-4395. College football fix is just around the corner. Right now, it is time for us to take a look at this day in sports history. Brought to you by Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland. Visit them online at acousticwavems.com. Borky. The year was 1989. Doing it a day early just because I didn't want to skip this one. On this day in 1989, Jerry Jones purchased the Dallas Cowboys. How about them Cowboys? For a measly $140 million. The team now is estimated to be worth north of $5 billion. He almost immediately fired Tom Landry, the team's only head coach ever at that time. Yeah, didn't make a lot of friends right out of the gate. No, and then hired Jimmy Johnson, uh, a former um, teammate of his at Arkansas. They went 1-15 in his first season and then later won a couple of Super Bowls with Johnson and then won another one shortly thereafter and then fired the team's longtime general manager also shortly after the acquisition of the team, and he's been basically in charge ever since. He's made a bunch of money as well. So here's my question, hey, Dan. We can't name the longtime general manager? I mean, the man had a tech shram. Come on. Sorry. Give that guy some respect. You, you got it. Jerry didn't. That's true. No, no, he didn't. Didn't have much respect for Tom Landry either uh, when it was all said and done. Um, the, okay, here, so here's the thing for you. Let's say that today an NFL franchise becomes available for $140 million. You mean the St. Louis Battlehawks? No, I have. Just stick with me for a second. I don't have 140 million. The three of us don't together. We know. Surely, though, we could go to a bank and borrow 140 million dollars to buy an NFL team. 
We know enough people that we could put together a consortium that would uh that we could we could own this NFL team, correct? Yeah, I don't want to share it with a bunch of people though. Like I want to be at least the majority owner. <laughs> well, I don't know if we could pull I, that off. We we could at least, you know, you could be the the operating partner and be the face of the franchise. How about that? Yeah, fair enough, I guess. I, I guess in the ter- current economic cycle, but that was a lot of money then. And apparently, oh, yeah. as the story goes, Jerry M- Jones, I mean, he begged, borrowed, and stole to, you know, did everything he could to pull that money together to buy the Dallas Cowboys. And now it's a franchise that's worth, what, $4 billion? Yeah, he had a good return on investment. Not that the bad. Second, I'm, I'm saying that's the second most influential purchase of a team in terms of, you know, you know the owner. To Steinbrenner buying the Yankees. Yes. You know, uh, yeah. President Trump passed on buying the Cowboys in 1983. Fake news. I'm sure you're wrong. <laughs> Get this, though. There's no way he made such a terrible Porky, decision. if that had happened, it would have been huge. The valuation huge. in 19, in all, just six years prior was only $50 million. Wow. Yo, he said no. Casinos at that point. He said, quote, I feel sorry for the poor guy who's going to buy the Cowboys. It's a no-win situation for him. Oh, man. <laughs> this moment in sports history brought to you by Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland. You can get wave therapy to treat many orthopedic conditions, including heel spurs, tennis elbow, golfer's elbows, shoulder tendonitis, and more. No incisions, no scars, and no downtime. You can go back to work the very same day. Contact them, Acoustic Wave, online at AcousticWaveMS.com or give them a call at 855-563-6100. College Football Fix is next. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad for this final hour. Baseball updates. Mississippi State and Texas Southern now tied at three in the top of the third inning as the Bulldogs got an RBI double from, was it Rowdy Jordan? Jordan Westberg. Jordan no, Spiller. it was Jordan Westberg. Yeah. There you go. I like Jordan Westberg. I like that 11 is doing things on uh, Stranger Things night at the park. What are they trying to accomplish with that? What, what's the whole Stranger Things theme? What do you mean? I mean, what what goes along? Okay, so that was the theme night, Stranger Things, but what are they doing? Uh, I don't know. they got a bunch of stuff set up out there. I'm sure they've got some videos playing and some creepy stuff, and then as you leave the press box, maybe a demigorgon will murder you. I don't know. Do you see the teaser for the new season? Yes, yes. They, they should alive, but they shouldn't have put him in there. Like you knew that he wasn't dead, but come on, don't no, we, show him we, in we, the sp- in the preview. Had, they had to make us happy. Give us a little, give us a little taste. Such a great show. Uh, I've never yeah. seen it. Oh, you're missing out. Uh, you're yeah, doing well, Parks and Rec night in a few weeks. Also, great show. Yeah. Yeah, You've never seen Stranger Things? I don't know if you no. would like that or not. I can't figure. Yeah, that's, that's not. Really I, don't, my I don't think. I don't think. I don't think Richard would like it. It's not his. It's not his. Uh, I mean, not going to be like, oh my goodness, I'm scared. I can't go to sleep. Just, eh, not really my thing. Well, but it's not a horror show. It's more of like '80s nostalgia. And you were what, 20 in 1980, right? So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. 
I always like when I somehow I'm not the older one. I don't know how, how we're pulling that <laughs> off, but it, wor- it works for me. Uh, but no, it's it's not a like a horror show. I mean, there is like mo- it's a more monster in it, but horror. yeah. And it's it's got really good soundtrack too. It's like all music and nostalgia and eighties based. It's it's really good. Couple of runs for Ole Miss in the bottom of the third inning with two outs. Chatagnier got the RBI double, and then Tyler Keenan followed it up with uh, an RBI double himself, or an RBI single. He's two for two in the ball games, driven in a run, and Ole Miss leads two to nothing over Southern Miss as they go to the top of the fourth at Swayze Field. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. I'd love for you to jump on the text line if you've got something that interests you. Let us know. We'll uh, we'll go there with you. Unleash the next generation of Galaxy on the Ceasefire network, now with 5G speeds. Pre-order one of the Samsung Galaxy S20 series of smartphones online for $300 off when you upgrade or $500 off when you add a new line. Learn more at cspire.com. Time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. And remember, it is truck month, at least for a few more days. It's a leap year, right? So you've got an extra day of truck month. Whether it's the Ranger, the F-150, which is the best-selling truck in America for the last 43 years, or Ford Super Duty, you're going to like how it feels when you get behind the wheel. Test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. doesn't matter where you are. If you're on the coast, if you're in the Pine Belt, if you're in the Jackson Metro area, North Mississippi, Northeast Mississippi, DeSoto County, find a local Mississippi Ford dealer and test drive a truck today. I think... This is the worst-kept secret in college football this offseason. One of, anyway. Kevin Falk is now the running backs coach at LSU. LSU announced or is in the process of announcing that Kevin Falk will be elevated to that position. That's what a source told ESPN earlier today. He was an All-American running back for LSU, played 13 seasons for the New England Patriots, and has been working as the Director of Player Development since 2018. Kevin Falk replaces Tommy Robinson, who is leaving for the same role at Texas A&M. That was first reported by TexAgs.com. Robinson's departure from LSU has been in the works for a while now, and apparently he spoke with multiple SEC teams about moving on. This will mark Kevin Falk's first on-field coaching role. He rushed for over 4,500 yards at LSU and ranked second in SEC history behind the great Herschel Walker from the University of Georgia, former first-team All-American, that was in 1996, SEC Freshman of the Year in 95, first-team All-SEC in each of his final three years as well. Uh, first of all, Kevin Falk, the player, man, he was good. Yeah, I, I, I saw a ton of him uh, going up and down the field against Mississippi State and, of course, other SEC teams. As well. Yeah, it and wasn't limited pro. to Mississippi State, in fairness. Yeah, yeah. And a great pro, too. Won, what, three Super Bowls with the Patriots? I mean, had a tremendous career. Borky, wasn't he at the uh, at the center of the post-game dust-up in College Station after the seven-overtime game? Yes. Yes, he was. I remember that. Yeah. The, he was the guy that... Uh, 
the, the Texas A&M fan went after the LSU coach, and, and Kevin Falk was standing right there. And there's that picture of Kevin Falk looking like he's about to go beast mode on uh, on that poor uh, Aggie. And then that there that guy got punched in the chest and like ruined his pacemaker. Yeah, that's yeah. that. They, that guy punched the LSU coach who had the pacemaker. The, there Falk was, was very much a look of Kevin Falk will be having none of this yeah. that went along with uh, with that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mess with Kevin Falk. He's, he's, Ed Ogeron has alluded to a couple of times the fact that in terms of running backs coach, he's got. He's got a good idea what he's going to do there, and fans are going to like it a whole lot. Everybody knew this is what was going to happen. Nothing gets fans more excited than former star player coming back to coach. They they love it. Every fan base loves it. Um, yeah. I I don't think Ed Ogeron is hiring people at this point though to make fans happy, right? I mean, no. he he's not giving Kevin Falk that job if he doesn't think Kevin Falk. Is a really good piece addition to the staff. Number one, actually, no, that would be number two. He's not giving Kevin Falk that job if he doesn't think he's a good position to the staff. But more importantly than that, Ed Ogeron believes Kevin Falk can go out and recruit running backs. Yeah. I, I just think that's the way Ed Ogeron looks at things. Boy, that school's had a really hard time of it, so he's got a tall task ahead of him. <laughs> <laughs> they they need an elite recruiter for that position. However will they figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wonder how much better recruiting can get. See, I saw that, speaking of the Scott Cochran thing, is, oh, he's really going to help Georgia recruiting. Just wait until he gets into some living rooms. And I keep thinking, how could it possibly get better than it currently is you can still only sign 25 ish guys a year how much better can georgia get recruiting what if it's about maintaining i mean what if it's not oh well now we've got to go from number three to number two in the recruiting rankings what if what if it's just look the the second we rest just for a moment and don't continue to improve ourselves from a recruiting standpoint that's when we slide to number eight or number 13 nationally (laughs) And we got to do everything we can to stay top five. Yeah, I mean, you look at LSU, they've had back-to-back top five classes, but in 2018 they were 15th. Now that class is loaded at the top. I mean, Terrace Marshall and Jamar Chase are in that class, Kelvin Joseph. Uh, but, you know, it's not that long ago they, 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 were, they didn't have a great class. So I thought yeah. Clemson was going to be the innovators of a new model, air quotes, new model. And this year, they kind of went away from what's been working. Now, they signed, what, six, five stars, which is more than the rest of their conference combined. So it's still a great class. But they signed, what was it, 24 guys in this year's recruiting class. And they've they've made their hay under Dabo on signing 15, 16, 17 guys and doing great evaluations. And now they're kind of doing what everybody else has done. I was a little surprised to see that though it doesn't matter because even their classes that were ranked in the 15 range still had a bunch of five stars. It's just they didn't have the bodies. So same difference, but I was surprised to see that. Borky, do you think that it took a while for Clemson to get to the point where they were quote-unquote traditional power? Even though they were winning at a high level, at even an elite level, they still weren't there in terms of 
every living room they walked into, oh, it's Clemson, in the way that Alabama is and Georgia is. I would say Southern Cal is and Texas are, but, you know, it, they're would off you a little bit. argue it took the, the, second, the second playoff title? appearance to really be that team? Yeah, maybe so. That rise was, I mean, that was the the slow build, like the perfect model when you hire a football coach. You hope it goes that way. Maybe a little bit sooner because it took him to year four to actually really get going. But still, yeah, it was a slow build. But it's hard for me to fault Dabo. I mean, you know, well, we could have the 15th ranked class, but, (laughs) you know, we do have six five stars, so we might as well take what we can get. Yeah, take what you can get. Sports Talk Mississippi will take a quick timeout. That's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. SEC baseball scores bottom of the sixth. North Florida and South Carolina tied at five. Kentucky leading Tennessee Tech six to three in the sixth. Alabama leading UT Martin eight to four in the sixth. In the fifth inning, Tennessee's up 12 to nothing on Northern Kentucky. Mississippi State and Texas Southern tied at three with the Bulldogs batting in the bottom of the third. Georgia, no trouble today with Kennesaw State leading 12 to one in the fourth. Ole Miss has a two nothing lead over Southern Miss. They're now playing in the bottom of the fourth inning in Oxford at Swayze and Vanderbilt with a one nothing lead over Evansville in the third. Tonight, Alabama A&M is at Auburn and Houston Baptist is at Texas A&M. So it is combine week in the NFL, and the Joe Burrow story is one that I guess isn't going to go away for a few more days. Obviously, the story of Joe Burrow is going to stay as he is on his way to being the number one draft pick when the draft rolls around in April, but Joe Burrow had an answer ready for the question that so many people wanted to ask. With a throng of media members at the NFL Scouting Combine earlier today, the LSU quarterback and presumptive number 1 pick in the draft summarily dismissed any notion that he would attempt to dissuade the Cincinnati Bengals from selecting him or would try to force his way out if the team did so. Here's the quote from Joe Burrow. Yeah, of course I want to be the first pick. That's everyone's dream. I'm not going to not play. I'm a ball player. I'm going to show up. You guys kind of took that narrative and ran with it. There has never been anything like that from my end. Does that put an end to this story? You would think so. I believe so. it does, yeah. Mike Florio, though, is continuing to run with this quote when he was talking about leverage, and he was actually asked about that, and he said, from a leverage standpoint, he meant not working out at the Combine. It's like, I've got the leverage to not have to show up here and do all this. I'll work out at my pro day. I'll do the interviews. That's what he claims he was talking about when he mentioned that he has all the leverage in this situation. I kind of believe him there, too. Borky, you remember the the interview that he did with the guys from uh, from Barstool when he was still intoxicated the morning after the <laughs> national championship game. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to do anything at the Combine. Because why should he? He just won the Heisman Trophy. He just had the most prolific passing season in the history of the Southeastern Conference. There's absolutely nothing, nothing that Joe Burrow can do to improve his draft stock. No. Nothing. In Cincinnati's – see, I think it's a novelty pick. 
I mean, same thing, and I've made this comparison before, but it's fine. Uh, same thing with New Orleans and Zion. You weren't not picking him. You could have evaluated him and thought, you know what, We're, we really don't need this kid, and you're still picking him because the eyeballs and the attention and the money and everything that you get from picking that kid is franchise-changing. And so far, worked out really well. I think Cincinnati's in the same boat. He's a Ohio-bred kid. I mean, they're already selling out Burrow number 9 jerseys at local stores there. You can't not pick Joe Burrow if you're Cincinnati. So every time I see a headline that's like, would the Bengals move off the number one pick? Here are some options. I don't even click on them because it's it's a non-starter. They are not going to do it. Unless the Bengals front office decides that Tua Tonga-Vailoa has a 100% clean bill of health and they believe he is better than Burrow. I don't think that's going to happen. But that's a sellable idea, right? I mean, would Bengals fans be upset if they took two and number one? It would take them a day, probably. But then they'd be fine with it, I'm sure. But it would take you a minute. I mean, it's... Ohio's the kind of... I mean, every state has state pride. And so it's like, hey, he's a homegrown kid. That's it, right. I forgot about that piece. And so, the fact that he's from Southeast Ohio matters. Absolutely. But, I mean, they'd be fine with him. I saw a mock draft today that didn't even have Miami taking Tua and having him fall down to six to L.A. Mm. Be good for L.A. Yeah. They claim, I I saw a a headline earlier that um, Tua thinks he's going to be cleared to to work out in full contact, air quotes, because there's no contact this time of year, but full cleared uh, first week of March. So he can go through a full pro day at... Alabama. That, yeah, if he's if he feels like he's ready, then yeah. But they expect him to be cleared. I think the target date was March eighth. What do you think of this quote? Some of the whole Burrow should hold out may originate with this former number one pick Steve Bartkowski told the Fort Worth Star Telegram earlier this month that Burrow should quote pull an Eli Manning. He went on to say this: "I'd hate to see that happen to him. To be honest, the Falcons beat me up. I spent more time at the hospital recuperating from injuries my first three years." Than I did throwing touchdowns. It was tough. I mean, if I, maybe there's something to that with a former number one pick that went to a bad team that was not prepared to protect him. And yeah, maybe there's something that's real there. How many NFL teams? But it's just an opinion, right? Right. That's all it is. How many NFL teams need a quarterback that you wouldn't go there and get beat up a lot? I mean, seriously, who's on the quarterback market right now? Uh, Chicago? It, you know, they're, they're better equipped but to win they? right now than Cincinnati, and they're claiming that they're going to go into year five with Trubisky, which would just be a massive mistake. Um, L.A., they were awful last year. Uh, Carolina's going to stick with Cam Newton. There aren't many teams on the quarterback market anymore. Hey, Dad, are you surprised that the Panthers are going to stick with Newton? A little. A little. But at the same time, when he's healthy... He's a great quarterback. So, I mean, maybe you just feel like you can squeeze the last little bit out of him, and that's worth hanging on to. Do you believe in the idea that he is going to get healthy and stay that way? I don't, no. I don't I don't think he'll be healthy. I don't think he'll ever be the same quarterback he, he, uh, he, he was in the past, no. Robert Griffin III is still in the NFL. Isn't that amazing? 
I mean, kind of is. That position I mean, so difficult, and he's a perfect example of why. I mean, one injury, and he and he that's it. But but it's a little crazy to me though that he's still in the league. I mean, he's only twenty nine years old, three years in Washington, played twenty sixteen in Cleveland, last two years in Baltimore, and you know, maybe he's in a good spot. Man, I'd be an NFL quarterback forever, backup quarterback if they let me. So as a twenty two year old rookie in twenty twelve. RG3 started 15 games. He started 13 games in 2013. He played in nine games, started seven in 2014, did not play all of the 2015 season. He started five games at quarterback for Cleveland in 2016. In 2018, he played in three games but did not have a start, and then last year played in seven games with one start for Baltimore. Did he start the last game of the regular season after they had already clinched everything? Truthfully, I don't right. remember. I don't, I don't remember, but it sounds right. Had one touchdown pass and two picks this past year. Played in seven games. So. Such an intriguing year. I know we're a long way off. But, I mean, and we're not going to, I imagine we're not going to do as much NFL this year as we did last year just because the football teams might be interesting again, which is great for us, obviously. But, Considering Burrow and Cincinnati now and, and what Miami does with Tua and Tom Brady movement, does he move, does he not? It certainly sounds like the Raiders are going to move on from Derek Carr. Where does Phillip Rivers end up? You have all this veteran quarterback movement and Breeze is back in New Orleans for one more year and Ben Roethlisberger looks like he's going to be back in Pittsburgh. Is, uh, there's videos of him rehabbing out there right now. Fascinating year upcoming in the NFL too. Bouncing from the NFL back to college, we get a question on the C Spire text line. Where will LSU finish in the SEC next year? Third Maybe in more the specifically, West. I would say how about more specifically in the West? Second. Behind Alabama? Mm-hmm. You ready for this one? Alabama, Texas A&M, LSU. Come on. Don't A&M's schedule allows for easy wins like through October. Don't don't do this to yourself again. I was I'll skeptical last year, but I, I read something earlier this week that is now. I, I don't know if I'm going to jump fully on board, but their schedule sets up so well, and they've got veterans, and they've recruited well, and I'm, I might be buying in. Okay. There are fewer hey, questions about them than there is LSU and Auburn, right? No doubt, but still. Hey, Dad, did Joe Moorhead at one point call you a moron? Not that I remember. We just got this suggestion for a poll question tomorrow. It says, Borky, we should uh, have this as the poll question. What does the M stand for in BMH, Brian Haydad's initials, because it can't stand for moron like Joe Moorhead claimed? Uh, that to my, if he did that, he did it not to my face. Hmm. It stands for Matthew, so there's no need for a poll question. Ah! You just ruined it. Sports Talk ah, Mississippi. Fine. Take a quick timeout. Be back with you on this Tuesday. Baseball scoreboard update. Ole Miss leading 2-1 to one now over Southern Miss. Golden Eagles just got 
a base hit through the left side that scored a run from second to make it two to one. It was um, McGillis that uh, that scored just a second ago for, or excuse me, that had the RBI. Um, what is his first name? It's not William. I know. Yeah. Anyway, um, son of former Southern Miss Athletics Director Bill McGillis. Maybe it is William McGillis. Anyway, uh, drove in a run for Southern Miss, making it two to one, and. Texas Southern has scored again to take a four to three lead over Mississippi State. Uh, hey, that bases loaded wild pitch allowed the going uh, go ahead run to uh, come home to score for Southern Miss. Yeah, excuse me, for, for Texas, Texas Southern. Yep, Sorry. single, single walk, and then a wild pitch. Now an error on uh, Westberg, and it's five three Texas Southern. Ugh. It's one of those where you feel like. Ultimately, it's going to work out, but doesn't feel like Mississippi State's played a very clean game so far today. This was State in the midweek almost every game last year, so yeah, I tend to agree that by the end of this game, I won't be surprised if it's something like you know fifteen to seven. But yeah, right now it's not looking good. Five runs, five hits, and an error for Texas Southern. Three runs, three hits, and an error for Mississippi State. Southern Miss uh, has a ground out to end the inning, so it's Ole Miss leading two to one. Halfway through at Swayze in Oxford as they go to the bottom of the fifth. Ole Miss at this point has used three pitchers in the game, and uh, Southern Miss is going to the bullpen for the very first time now in the uh, bottom of the fifth inning. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad with you for another half an hour, another 20 minutes or so on um, this Tuesday afternoon. Ceasefire text line is open 601 879 4395. Time right now for the Pearl River Resort pick of the day. Brought to you by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge at the Golden Moon Casino in Philadelphia. Check it out if you're in the area. We'll be there coming up in a few weeks as we get you set for March Madness. Looking forward to being back at the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge. Borky, nice pick yesterday. You had the Clippers uh, laying 10 at home against the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, you had about 20 points worth of breathing room in that as well. Yeah, for a while it felt like you could have laid 27 and been comfortable. They just got smoked last night. But hey, you kind of saw that coming. It was the second night of a back to, of a Los Angeles back-to-back for them, Lakers and the Clippers. That's just no fun ever. And uh, missing Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to be tough for that team. So uh, long road ahead with the NBA's toughest schedule and trying to hold on to that eight spot. Borky's got some gambling notes for you. So let me give them to you, and then we'll give you the Pearl River Resort pick of the day. Mississippi State is a four-and-a-half-point favorite in the game tonight. There's been some movement in the line. It was at three earlier today. It's now four-and-a-half. And that's insane because that's as of like 11 o'clock this morning. It was at three. Bulldogs a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Alabama in their last 12 games against Mississippi State, nine-and-three against the spread. In their last nine road games, Alabama 8-1 and one against the spread. Last six games, Mississippi State 1-5 against the spread. Eight straight ball games for Mississippi State have gone over the total. And the total tonight, let's see if that has moved. 157.5. So that's a high-scoring game. You're talking about a game... That's expected to be played in the mid to upper 70s if the over is going to hit. Hey, Dad, that piece would not surprise me at all if Mississippi State shoots it well at home tonight. 
Because Alabama's going to score. Yeah, I agree. Well, well, so give me the number one more time. 157 and a half. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. 80 to, 80 to 75 is the under. Which yeah, is a high-scoring uh, basketball game in yeah. college. It was it, last time they played these two games late. It would have been one fifty-nine. So, yeah. Um, just kind of based on the trends, I lean in the direction of taking Alabama and the points, getting four and a half. Um, I'm not saying Mississippi State doesn't win the game, but if they do win, I feel like it'll be a close win at home. So Alabama getting four and a half on the road uh, when they have been really good against the spread in recent games. Uh, the other lines for tonight: Kentucky is a six and a half point favorite at Texas A&M. Well, on the surface, you just kind of lean all over Kentucky, but then you think about how tough Texas A&M has been. And Auburn is an eight and a half point favorite at home tonight against Ole Miss. Yeah, recent results in that series might lead you to believe that Ole Miss could be good against the number tonight. Having won 12 of the last 15 in the series and playing this team to double overtime earlier this year. My my inclination is to lean toward Auburn laying the points at home. I just don't know if you're going to get the Auburn team that shoots it well from three or the one that doesn't shoot it well from three. By the way, the total in that game tonight with Ole Miss and Auburn is 143. So if that one's played in the low 70s, you're probably good there. Yeah. Any any big pushback on taking Alabama in the points? I predict them to win by 10 on my podcast, so no, not for me. All right. So your Pearl River Resort pick of the day, we will uh, lay the four and a half with Alabama tonight in Starkville against Mississippi State. Alabama desperately trying to play themselves into the NCAA tournament field. Same thing for Mississippi State, though. Bulldogs, such an important game tonight against Alabama in terms of their NCAA tournament future. Any of those games really grab you? Like, man, can't wait to watch that one? (laughs) No. I am intrigued by Mississippi State-Alabama, though. There are times in college basketball, like this weekend, what was it, three of the top four teams lost. And um, I saw a column, didn't even click on it, because it was, wow, huge weekend for upsets, massive for college basketball. What does this mean for Baylor? And That game doesn't really have any consequence. Maybe for the team that won it, but the number one team in the country losing a game does nothing. I mean, they may be a two-seed instead of a one in the tournament because of that or whatever, but they're all getting in. There aren't many games of consequence in college basketball, so at least in the SEC uh, atmosphere tonight, Mississippi State-Alabama actually has consequences on them because there are so few games in college basketball where the outcome directly impacts postseason implication because 68 teams make the tournament. So a a ranked team losing in an upset doesn't really change anything for them. They're still going to make the playoff. But at least tonight, it's not two highly ranked teams or, or anything like that, but this game has implications that extend beyond just celebrating a win or being mad about a loss for a day. Four games tomorrow night. Georgia is at South Carolina. It's a big one for the Gamecocks. No margin of error for Frank Martin's club. Tennessee at Arkansas. 
That certainly is a big one for the Razorbacks. Missouri is at Vanderbilt, probably inconsequential for both of them. And then LSU at Florida, that's two NCAA tournament teams. How many SEC teams get in when it's all said and done? Right now the projection is four. Four. Kentucky, Auburn, LSU, and Florida. Yeah, I think that's it. So you don't think any of the bubble teams make it? Not Alabama, not South Carolina, not Mississippi State, not Arkansas? No. Hmm. Even with the weak bubble, or the soft bubble, or the bubbly bubble. There'll be a couple of upsets in the conference tournaments that take away some spots there. There always are. So The SoCon might get two teams in this year. Yeah. Like East Tennessee, I think, would be in regardless of uh, of losing the tournament. And old Furman. You think Furman could get in at large? No, they would have to win the thing. Gotcha. Join the Gallo Show on the road on Friday at the Natchez Convention Center for the 31st Annual Natchez Literary and Cinema Celebration. Visits, Vittles, and Vines. This three-day event is Thursday through Saturday with a great lineup of guest speakers, short films, food, tours, cocktails, and lots more. Come join us as we watch the sun come up on the mighty Mississippi on Friday morning. It's brought to you by our great economic development-minded partners like Southwest Electric. Bank of Brookhaven, King's Daughters Medical Center, the Southwest Mississippi Partnership, and Compile Lincoln Community Colleges with campuses in Wesson, Natchez, and Simpson County. That's the Gallo Show this Friday morning starting at 6 a.m. And don't forget that uh, you can subscribe to the Sports Talk Mississippi podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Just search Sports Talk Mississippi to get the latest Sports Talk Mississippi podcast on your device anywhere, anytime. And don't forget, you can also subscribe to Thunder and Lightning, hosted by Brian Haydad and Joel T. Coleman, plus the Rebel Report, Brian Scott Rippey and Michael Borky, or the Eagle Hour, which comes to you and covers Southern Miss from our good friends at Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.